Now, the thing is, if you can keep figuring out what are the paths that is the most simple to get from point A for point B, no matter how emotionally difficult it is, and you can actually walk that path, you can see success a lot faster than most people. You can really compress a lot of time because they're taking much more complicated routes to get there because they're trying to avoid emotional difficulty because they can't deal with it. Welcome to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast, how to build the emotional fortitude to win in life and in business. No fluff, just real-world results. I'm your host, Ida Marmorani, ex-Israeli Special Forces, former undercover agent, jiu-jitsu black belt, and mindset expert. Welcome to today's episode, guys. Today, we're going to be talking about how to choose the path of least resistance and why I think so many people don't do that. Because they're stuck in this kind of no-man's land where they're not sure, is this a valid concern I have about this being the right or wrong thing to do? Or is this just an emotional worry, a fear I have around this? And people's lack of ability to differentiate between the two is a lot of times what causes them to get stuck and not just do the simple things that get the results. And instead, they go all these kind of roundabout ways because you just don't have the confidence to say, you know what, this is the right thing to do. I just have an emotional issue around this, my own insecurity, my fear, my self-doubt, and that's why I'm not doing it. So today, we're going to make it very, very clear for you guys to know when is this actually a valid logical concern where you should not take action. And when is this just an emotional worry and what to do about that? So with that said, welcome, Dr. Emil. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this one. Cool. So here's the deal. A lot of times what I do with a lot of the guys in the arena and the arena elite, the ongoing, is we figure out what is the simplest way for you to get from point A to point B. The most straight line, not a zigzag, a roundabout way where you avoid this, you avoid that because of procrastination, because you feel uncomfortable, because blah, blah, blah. But what's the simplest point? from A to B. Because what happens a lot of times is that people create technical complexity to avoid emotional complexity. They have emotions that cause them to overcomplicate things. And what happens a lot of times is that we figure out a really clear technical path for someone to take, but then they don't do it. There's still a little bit of resistance. So what I figured out is how can we help them see very clearly what should they be doing? And is this the voice in the head is telling them not to do that? Is that a valid voice to listen to? Or is it not? Now, before I get going, do you have anything to say about this or any questions in general? Because I think I said a couple of big things here. No, no, let's, let's deep in. I think some stuff will start to be explained and unraveled, and then we can clarify. Awesome. All right. So first off, we're going to cover how to get clear on what the path of least technical resistance is. It might be the path of most emotional difficult. There might be a lot of emotional resistance there, but we want to figure out what's the path of least technical resistance, because that means you're probably going to accomplish your goal as fast as possible with as least friction as possible. That's called technical friction, but it just might be emotionally difficult. Now, the thing is, if you can keep figuring out what are the paths that is the most simple to get from point A for point B, no matter how emotionally difficult it is, and you can actually walk that path, you can see success a lot faster than most people. You can really compress a lot of time because they're taking much more complicated routes to get there because they're trying to avoid emotional difficulty because they can't deal with it. So first off, we're going to understand how can we do that? We're going to ask two questions that can really help you figure that out. Then we're going to talk about emotional resistance versus technical resistance and how you can differentiate the two by talking a lot about risk and stress testing concerns. Is this understanding, is the danger I'm feeling here, this discomfort I'm feeling here, is it valid or is it not? And really differentiating between a logical concern and an emotional worry, which are two different things. Shall we get started? 
Let's do it. Let's do it. Cool. So, and again, please feel free to interrupt me during this one because I know this is, I'm going to be talking about some, some more complex things. So please feel free to interrupt me if there's anything that needs to be clarified. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So the first two clarifying questions I ask when someone figures out, okay, this is what I want. This is the standard that I have. These are my goals is first off, what would you recommend somebody else do in your exact situation? If somebody else wanted to achieve this, what would you tell them they should do? And it's a really interesting question because all of a sudden it takes you out of your own emotions, your own fears, your own discomfort. The classic example is when people talk about cold calling. Hey, if you make a hundred cold calls a day, you'll do this, but nobody wants to do it. So everybody finds a different way around this. That's on a really small level, but on a high level where the business owner doesn't actually have to do that kind of stuff anymore, he still avoids certain things. And asking him that simple question, what would you advise someone else who wants to achieve what you want and has everything that you want at his disposal to do? It changes things because all of a sudden they have to look at the truth. They're like, ah, I would advise him to just do this. This is really simple. Do you have an example of the bigger one? Like the cold call is very easy to see. Yes. So part, so it's interesting. It's, it's a lot about outreach usually. It's sometimes it's about outreach. It's about creating joint ventures. I've seen a lot of people have really big opportunities. They're just sitting on and not taking advantage of because they're not reaching out to that person. They can have an amazing partnership with, and it could be a big win-win. Um, a lot of times it's actually about cutting things. Mm -hmm. uh, it, this really prevents some cost fallacy. So if you have a project that you've been working on for two years, you put a lot of effort into it and yeah. it's also led by an employee that you really, really like on a personal level, but it's just a wrong project for the business. If you look at it from an objective perspective, you'd be like, this is something the business needs to cut. It doesn't make sense. And if I saw this on somebody else's business, I was sitting in front of him in a conference and like, you know, lunch, whatever it may be. And he told me about this. I'm like, dude, you just need to cut this out. This doesn't make any sense. So the, the issue here then is people getting caught in the reeds and not having or, or denying themselves clarity of the bigger picture. Because if you were to sort of look up above the reeds and gain clarity, it would be a no brainer. So go on. It's beyond by cutting in the region, you mean just cutting the weeds and the small stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of or just not that. being able to see and see what's going on because it's it's beyond that. I think we have a really hard time seeing ourselves. My mom used to tell me that there's an expression that if somebody came to me with my exact set of problems that I've never yeah. been able to figure out, I'd set them straight in 30 minutes. Yeah. And it's just that sometimes we just can't see ourselves because our emotions sometimes blind us, our fears distract us. And it's a big thing. As soon as we see, we externalize the problem, we can figure out much more elegant solutions. And especially if you yeah. say, what would somebody else do in this? Not even, well, let's externalize our problem. What would somebody else do? Because then that also removes any emotional biases we can have about, I don't even want to come up with that solution because then I'll have to do something that I don't want to do. So if we entirely externalize, let's ask, what would I advise somebody else in a similar situation to do? It makes a big difference. And it's amazing how many times I ask people this question, they're like, oh, okay. I know exactly what to do. That yeah. was ridiculous. I know exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, it's, it's just interesting that it's, as long as you're kind of looking for the first, the sort of the next step, you can kind of bullshit yourself. But if you either say, what would someone else do in that situation or kind of zoom out and say, well, to get to the, the, the big end step, then this is a no brainer, then you can kind of start to take those, those actions. 
Yeah. And a way I like to say it also, people like are saying it's to get you to a certain goal. So sometimes when people are still stuck with this, I say, okay, let's imagine you invested money into a company that's identical to yours. And you were talking with its CEO and you wanted to get a really positive return on your money. Because the point of that business is to be profitable. What would you tell that CEO to do? What would you advise him that he needs to do? And then it really puts them on the hook because they recognize the point of their business. Again, obviously within the values and so on and so on is to be profitable and make money. So they're like, okay, this is really what we need to do. Adding that little tweak sometimes what takes people over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this, this kind of this framework of taking you out of your own head, essentially. Um, and one thing which is a requirement for this, a prerequisite would be clarity on the bigger picture and the goals, as in you yes. need to know what you want to achieve. And I think most people in business probably have that, but in this situation, reviewing it so that you have these two points to be able to say, okay, now I have context for this smaller decision. If I want to achieve X, then I need to get rid of this project, cut this out, create some outreach, whatever. Yeah. So that's a great point that I should have, uh, I should have made clear. So a couple of prerequisites are not a couple, it's just that one that, you know, what you want. Yeah. This is a part that we do first. We figure out really what you want out of life in general and so on and so on. And then we figure out what's the standard, what's the goal for the next year. And then we can assign, okay, if someone's trying to achieve this and they're currently where you are, what would you advise them to do? So those are prerequisites and I appreciate you bringing that up. So that's question number one. Is that clear? Yeah. Awesome. Question number two is what's the simplest technical path to achieve what you want? That's probably emotionally very uncomfortable. And we just put it out there straight daylight. Let's look at this honestly. Let's accept that something's going to be probably very uncomfortable. Even if you were willing to deal with that, if we don't say you have to right now, just if you were open to doing that, what would be the simplest technical path? And by not making someone feel like they have to commit to doing that right now, by saying, what should you do? We're saying, if, yeah. let's say if, you know, if you were open to do that, what would <laughs> be the simplest technical path? Hypothetically, this is a hypothetical world. And it's interesting because you add a little bit of levity and humor to it. They're like, I, I know this would be the simplest path. Yeah. It's breaking it down, right? Because it's like, you know, taking a, a, an emotionally difficult action is a big step. But if yeah. you say, look, let's just lay out the map. Let's put it in front of us. Let's smooth it down. Let's just look at it. We, you know, we don't have to do it, but let's just at least identify this path. Um, uh, I'll break it down a bit differently. I think it's we first dissolve them of the fear of them possibly not being capable of doing it. So there's the actual hatching of the plan and then there's a fulfillment of the plan. A lot of times people, they fail to plan correctly because they have a belief that they're not capable of pulling it off anyway. And they let the how interrupt the truth of what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And that way we don't let that how interrupt them because we're saying this is what you should, what someone should be doing. Not if you're capable of this, if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, if you can employ enough leverage, whatever it may be. And by doing that, it's a very crafty workaround because it takes away the personal the personal aspect of the human factor out of it. It's, it's like, like hacking, why is that hacking human psychology, right? That's what I'm, that's basically what I do for a living. So yes. <laughs> cool. Is that part clear though? Yeah. And, and just All for right. that second, that second question, what's the simplest path? Again, that clearly requires a uh, clarity on the end points to define yeah, the clearest path. And also, even if there's not this ultra pristine clarity, 
people still know. When you ask yeah. these kind of questions, what I found is people still know. And so then kind of moving forward, we get to the point where they know now what they should be doing. They figured out, okay, this is the simplest path. This is what I would advise somebody else who's trying to achieve what I want to achieve. People usually have two reactions. One is they're like, awesome. Let me do it. And they take action. Option number two is that they're, uh, but they have this voice in their head. Like, I know this sounds like the right thing to do, but, and that's the point where we have to understand, is this a logical concern or an emotional worry? And we have to differentiate it because it could be that there is something that we didn't understand about the situation that it didn't articulate that is still going to be an actual valid issue of why this isn't the simplest path, why this isn't the correct path, or it could just be an emotional thing. They have a bit of resistance to it. So the way we figure out which is which we first try to falsify, we say, let's assume this actually could be a valid concern. Let's stress test it. Let's see. Because if we could say this is actually not a logical concern, we stress tested, we stress tested it, sorry, and we forgot it's not a valid concern. We say, okay, this is just an emotional work. And then we'll deal with that after that. Is that part clear? Yeah, can we can we do an example? Let me think of one at the top of my head. Um, I'm trying to think about a real world example, not just a general one. So for I example, you- I was working Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I think it would be very helpful because it brings it to reality versus the abstract. Yeah. So one of them, I worked with one of the guys recently. He, we literally figured out that the simplest way for him to do things was partnerships to get the business to the next level. He had a, he had a SaaS product and we figured out a couple partnerships. You do five of those within the certain parameters. It's going to take things to the next level. And he was like, oh, I'm not sure about this, man. And what I saw, I was like, I think you have an emotional resistance to it there, but let's figure out everything that could actually be, make it a valid concern and stress test it. So what we did there in order to stress, if it's a logical concern or not, we listed out all of his concerns. So one of them was if I join people into this partnership and I actually don't want to go this route, I'm stuck there. So we said, okay, first off, that's not logically true. You can always make contracts that we're going to try this out for a quarter, for two quarters. And if it's not a win-win, we can back away from it. He was afraid it was going to dilute the brand. We said, okay, we can also figure out ways around that. Correct? Yes. And he kept having these kind of objections almost to the idea. And we just stress tested. Is this true? And this is actually a no-go thing because it's not going to work for you and what you want? Or is there an elegant solution to this? Is that clear? Is that a good example? Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's it's essentially the the emotional blocks manifest as these abstract subconscious uh, obstacles, walls, and what you're doing is making them visible and like kind of clarifying yeah. them, like you know, shining a light on them, rather than allowing them to be these murky, misty, hidden things. Which you're like, oh, there's ten of these misty things. This couldn't possibly be a good idea. Okay. But let's bring them all out and look at actually what they are. Okay. This is actually a good idea when examined. Yeah. That's a very good way of saying it. So we just like, we flush everything out and then we say, are these things actually valid or not? And I like what you said of it. Sometimes when there's, let's say, for example, 10 things that each of them is just like a level two concern together. We think in our mind that it's a tw- level 20 concern. We should actually mm-hmm. leave this. Cause it's a 20 out of 10 concern. It's not okay mm-hmm. to do it. 
But when you really break things down and you can say, is this a yes or no thing? For example, the partnerships him saying, I'm just going to get stuck in this. Is this a binary thing? A yes, you will get stuck in this or no, you just shouldn't do it. What if there's a middle ground there? What if you say, guys, we're going to try it for six months. Will this work for you? Yeah. And if we hit these metrics at the end of the six months, we know that it's a win for you guys. We know that it's a win for our company and we keep going forward. And the more you can do that, again, the more you can dissipate and understand a lot of this stuff, it's not a logical concern. It's an emotional worry. Does that make yeah. sense? V very much. And that analogy of the, the, you know, two out of 10 concerns, like the fear is a 20 out of 10 by the time you stack them up. And that is life or death. That is saber tooth tiger yeah. in jungle level even though when you actually shine a light, it's just a little pussycat, right? It's just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> but, but the fear is fear. Fear is chemicals. Like the, these are the same chemicals that hit us back in the day, back in tribal land. So, it, you know, it's yep. very valid. Yep. Now, some of these things you can very clearly assess. Um, this is not a valid concern. Now, a lot of times though, I've had we've had situations with clients where they're like, this still feels a bit risky. The potential upside versus the potential downside. And I don't know how to weigh this. And I recognize that for me, this was always a bit easier because I actually learned risk assessment very early on in my career in the special ops world. And then in the agency, this was a big part of how we operate. And I shared with a couple of people, the risk framework that I kind of took away from that, how I developed it. And this is the one I also shared uh, in that conference we were back in Croatia back in the day. And I want to share that as well. I think it'd be very helpful for people to understand. It's a framework for me to know if this is a logical concern or an emotional worry. So please stop me at any time if this is getting a bit too long-winded or if there's something isn't clear. So when you look at risk on a really high level, there's two main components. There's danger and your ability to control that danger. If the control is greater than the danger, this is not a risky situation. You probably have an emotional worry about this, but it's not a logical valid concern. However, if the level of danger eclipses your ability to control it, this is a logical concern. This could lead to ruin, so to speak. And that's something you shouldn't go forward. You should figure out a new plan, a more elegant solution. Is this part clear so far? Yeah, can I just give an example? Because- Please. I, these abstract terms, I think they can kind of just wash over us. So my interpretation of this is the control versus risk. An example would be, um, control walking, versus danger, contr sorry, control, control versus yeah, minus yeah. your danger equals the level of risk. Yeah. So, so an example would be walking on the top floor of a skyscraper with a glass floor that would be potentially high danger, but much, much higher control because there's walls on the sides. Whereas yeah. if it was a like a, a, a tight bridge with, with no, no walls, then the danger would be equally high as the skyscraper, but the control would be significantly lower. So that would be an example of the difference. Yeah. So the way you would look at, it, let's give another example for like, say like in a counterterrorism example, if you're going through a very dangerous area, but you're, and that's a high level of danger, but you're in a bulletproof car and you have a convoy protecting you your level of control is pretty high. You should be okay. It's still a risky situation on some level because you're engaging with danger, but you'll still be okay. On a business level, let's say you're making a big hire and there's a lot of potential upside, but there's also a lot of potential downside because you're paying somebody that you don't fully know yet or whatever it be. It might be a big sum. 
So one way to mitigate that danger is by having some control over it, having some kind of probation period or whatever it may be. And doing these things, you can kind of mitigate the risk that you need to take in order to grow. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's that's good sense. Good example. Great. All right, so let's break this down further. Let's talk about what danger is. Danger is, it factors in three main components, okay? And they kind of multiply each other. So and if any one of these is a complete zero, that means there's no danger whatsoever. Danger is zero. So the first component is the magnitude of possible harm. This means on a scale of one to 10, how devastating could this be? Is this gonna completely demolish your business if it goes south? Or is this gonna be a bit of annoyance and okay, let's figure out the next rock, the next project. On a counterterrorism level, is this something that's gonna kill a lot of people? Or is it just gonna be an annoyance, whatever it may be? So that's magnitude of possible harm. What's the severity of the consequence? Number two is the immediacy. How immediate is this threat? Is this danger? Is this something that's going to happen in five minutes or in a thousand years from now? Because if it's going to happen in a thousand years from now, it's not really that relevant. It's not dangerous. It's not really going to affect us. And then finally, you have the probability. What's the likelihood that this is actually going to happen? Is this a surefire thing that we know happens every once in a while? Or is this one of those moonshots? this dark, uh, I call it black swan events. And when you can calculate all three of those on a one to 10, what's the magnitude of possible harm? On a one to 10, what's the immediacy? And on a one to 10, what's the probability? You can understand the level of danger you're facing. And obviously if any of these are zero, it nullifies the whole thing. Cause I could have an immediate threat. that's about to happen in five minutes and I'm sure of it, but the magnitude of possible harm is zero. So that's actually not a threat. It's not relevant. Same thing. If I know the, it could be of catastrophic consequences, but the probability of it happening are zero, or it's just not going to happen for another million years, danger level zero. Does this make sense? Yeah. 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 This is great. Awesome. Cool. And now we're going to talk about control. Now control, this is really important. Um, we had a saying in the agency that the only guaranteed way to come out of an attack unharmed is by avoiding it altogether. This is really big. The only guaranteed way to come out of an attack unharmed is by avoiding it altogether. So with the control methods, there is a hierarchy where first you basically want to avoid the attack and then how can you at least engage the danger in some way so that you can hopefully mitigate it or nullify it. So the first thing you want to do is distance management. If you can distance yourself from the danger, you can be safe because it doesn't affect you. And this is where a lot of times in business, people talk about creating moats around their business. If you can have a really strong moat around your, your business, all these dangers on the outside, they're not going to affect you. At least you're going to have such a big heads up that you can maneuver and you can win. Does that part make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, let's get to the business examples of how this relates and the moat is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So then we got a barrier. If I can create some kind of barrier between me and the danger. So in the counterterrorism world, this is what I said about having an armored car, a bombproof car. In the business world, this is a lot of times about having a patent. Because if I have a patent on my IP, that's a block for somebody just trying to copycat it or whatever it may be. Clear? Yeah. Great. So those two things are a way for me to avoid actually engaging with the danger. These are the highest priority. Now, 
if I can't utilize those two, then I got to go lower down the chain. And option number three is deterrence. With a deterrent, I'm still not engaging with the danger, but I'm hoping out of its own kind of a decision-making framework, the danger won't want to engage in me. So this is basically sending a cease and desist letter. Someone tried to infringe my patent, I'm sending them a cease and desist letter. I'm hoping to deter them to say, listen, if you keep doing this, I'm going to sue you. And hopefully that stops things in its tracks. And the final way is countermeasures. That's the final method. We don't ever want to get to that because that means we're literally engaging with the danger and we're compromising ourselves. But an example of that would actually be taking somebody to court. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just another example of countermeasure, would that also be like direct competition, like going head to head with someone on Amazon, for example? Yep. Ideally, you wouldn't want to do that, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, the only guaranteed way to avoid it, to come out of an attack on harm is by avoiding it altogether. Yeah. That's just what it is. So we take those measurements. We first off, we have the danger. We figure out what's the magnitude of possible harm. What's the immediacy? What's the probability? Then we can say on a scale of one to 10, how dangerous is this? Is this a one? Is this a 10? And then we figure out, okay, in regard to this specific situation, what's my ability to control it? Can I just distance myself from it entirely, nullify it, and have a 10 out of 10 control? Can I block it out entirely, have a 10 out of 10 control? Can I create some kind of deterrent at least? Or am I going to be able to count, have some kind of countermeasure if push comes to shove? And then I can understand what is my ability to control here? How risky is the situation? And then I can say, okay, is the upside worth this risk? You say, you know what, this is on a scale of one to 10, it's just a level two risk, but the upside is a level 1000. Maybe yeah. you go for it. If it's a 10 out of 10 risk and the upside is a five, this is one of those things you don't do. Yeah. And, and this is my what... position is also, sorry, I was going to say this. If it's also a nine out of 10 risk and a nine out of 10 upside, don't do it. There's enough opportunities out there. I think one of the easiest ways they say this to really succeed is by avoiding ruin yeah. and having this framework is very clear. These are things you shouldn't be doing, even though it might be tempting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I interrupted you though. Go for it. Yeah. The bit you said about, um, an infinite upside with a tiny risk when you have all of these two out of 10 abstract fears. These are mm. all small risks which come together to feel overwhelming. But when you examine them, the risk is actually small and the upside is huge. So then it becomes a no brainer, but you only realize that when you actually bring them to light and assess them in a very you know, practical way, like you've described here. Yeah, I think you said it very well that a lot of small logical fears can feel really big when they're put together and they just, you don't shed a light of them and actually figure out and break it down what's going on. Yeah. So I think it's really important to differentiate logically again, is this a logical concern mm. or is this an emotional worry caused by a lot of different things? There's a bit of overwhelm or whatever it may be. Yeah. Because fear has a tendency to, to feel like it's life or death until you actually stop and are like, well, look, we're in the modern world. I don't know that it actually is. Um, yeah. But beyond that, what I was alluding to is that fear lives in ambiguity. 
So if you're not clear on what's actually going on, we usually, again, because of that primal encoding, we go back and we revert to worst case scenario thinking. The saber-toothed tiger, like you mentioned, and all that. That's what I mean. The baseline and is intense. Like if, exactly. if you're unsure, the saying. baseline is that it's an intense and this fear. is a process. Yeah, and so this is a process of clarifying what's yeah. actually going on and breaking things down and removing the ambiguity. Okay, yeah. what would I advise somebody else to do? What is the simplest yeah. path? Great, but this doesn't feel comfortable. Wait, what is it an emotional thing or a logical thing? Wait, let me actually figure out what are all my logical objections and then let's figure out if they're valid or not. And those yeah. that I'm still not sure about, let's run through this risk framework. I understand actually what is the danger, what is the control, what is the risk that I can have over them? Because if I can put all that together, Again, it becomes much more clear. And with clarity, usually comes confidence. And action. Cool. Yeah. And winning. And act. Exactly. So we got up to all that. And basically, let's say you get to all this, you're clear on what you want. You were a bit concerned about it. And you ask yourself this illogical concern, emotional worry. And you realize that all the logical objections that you thought you had are not valid. Then, okay, you got to recognize this is an emotional worry. And this is, we've done enough podcasts of this, we can do more about them, but that's when you really got to go into your emotional fortitude toolkit. And first thing you got to do is also understand what is the belief that's causing you to think this is more dangerous or more uncomfortable than it actually is, because that's going to dissipate a lot of discomfort. And then the second part, you got to accept that it just also might be uncomfortable and that's okay. That's not something to run away from. For example, doing cold calls, you know why it's uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable thing. That's just how it is. And it's not a signal that you should run the other way. But I think this is, it's, it's a, almost like a very simple and basic thing to say, but I think it gets overlooked a lot of times. You being able to sit and manage an emotion that doesn't feel comfortable for you and not just thinking, oh, this is an indicator that I should run away. It's such a powerful tool. If you can do that and recognize this is just going to be uncomfortable. But again, that's not an indicator that something's wrong and that's okay you can succeed so much more and so much faster than most because people think they have to wait until for things to be perfect or whatever it may be. And you just recognize, you know what? Some things are just uncomfortable and that's okay. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. Yeah. I think Hormozy or someone said it, one of the key um, things that super successful people have is ability to control their emotions, ability to manage their emotions. Yeah. So first off, yes. Um, what I was saying though, is that it's beyond an ability to control. It's just an ability to sit with it and not run away from that discomfort, recognize, oh, I'm going to feel a fear of judgment here because I'm doing this. I'm going to fear when I have to fire, I have to cut off that product line that we talked about with the employee that I really love as a human being. I'm going to have to deal perhaps with him being angry at me, someone being angry at yeah, me yeah. and judging me that I'm not a good leader, whatever it may be. And if you can accept those emotions and say, okay, this is how I'm going to feel at that time, but it doesn't mean that something is wrong. It's just a part of the process. Mm. Then you're free to not be affected by them as much because you're not trying to run away from them and avoid them at whatever cost. And again, what I said at the beginning that most people create technical complexity to avoid emotional difficulties, that part, they're trying to avoid feeling that feeling because they don't recognize it's okay to feel this. It's okay for me to feel, ah, what if someone says no to me? That's not going to feel nice. Yeah, it's not going to feel nice, but it doesn't mean anything bad about you. And I think that's a really important part. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe regulate emotions, sit with emotions. I like that actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just that not all your feelings are things to run away from. Yeah. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you need to run the other way. 
And having the mindset and the awareness that that's a thing, it's so freeing because then you know you're going to do this thing. You know it's going to be uncomfortable when you actually meet that emotion. You don't get deterred. You say, oh, I was expecting to meet you here. Great. You're not my favorite visitor, so to speak, but let's keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think just that, it's extremely powerful. Because again, and powerful in the sense that it allows action. It enables that's the key. action. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So one last thing about all this. The way I ask is the final question. If this is all kind of things that say need to move really, really fast, and you don't have the time to run everything through the frameworks, a great question that I've heard is if the upside is worth it and I can stand the downside, then I have to do it. Not a question, more of like a razor. I have to go either left or right. Say so if the upside is worth it and I can withstand the downside, I got to do it. And just recognizing that because I'm saying I got to do it. I'm going to meet those emotions. They're going to be there, but I still got to do it. That's what it is. Yeah, it sounds like one of those points where you have to make the easy choice or the hard choice and yeah. committing to making the hard choice in those moments. And that is what will create the steps to win. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to cover today. Do you have any questions about it or any insights? Because you had some very interesting points here that I would have overlooked. No, I think we covered it. We, we took it as it came, to be honest, um, with some good examples as well. Um, I always like to bring it to to reality and, and make it clear what we're talking about. Yeah, that's appreciated. I know I said this talking a bit too much of a conceptual level, so I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so to wrap things up, it's, it's not that complicated of a thing. If you're not sure on what to do, two big questions. One, what's the simplest path to achieve this? That's probably emotionally very uncomfortable. You don't have to do it. Just ask yourself on a theoretical level, what would that path be? And then two, what would I advise somebody else in a similar position to do? Really externalize yourself. And then if you have the answer and you're, you're just ready, you're ready to take action, beautiful. Take action, do what you got to do. If you still feel this resistance and you're like, this sounds like a good idea, but then you ask yourself, am I having an emotional worry here? Or is this a valid logical concern? And the way to figure that out is by first nullifying or stress testing what everything you think is a valid concern. So you list down your objections, why you think this is a valid concern and why you shouldn't do with this. And then you try to figure out, is there an option C? Because we usually fall into binary thinking. Thinking, if I do this, then this is going to happen. And we don't recognize, you know, there's probably a way for me to do this by doing this and that, that can be a win-win. And this thing that I was afraid of actually won't exist. Now, if you figure out there are some things that are valid logical concerns, that's when you got to stop. you got to figure out your answer again. But if you figure out this is all just emotional worries, they're not valid logical concerns, that's when you got to go into the emotional fortitude toolkit and really first understand why you're so afraid of this. One, what's going on there? What's the belief structure? And two, also just accepting you might have to sit with a feeling. You might have to meet a certain emotion on the way, discomfort, fear, whatever it may be, and just accept that and expect it. So when you do meet it, you're going to say, hey, I was expecting you to be there. This isn't a sign for me to retreat, that something is wrong. This is just a part of the process. And doing all that, that's going to enable you to take action, find the smoothest path, the most direct path from A 
to B and really achieve a lot of success very fast. Just a closing remark for myself. It's worth Please. documenting this process because you might decide that you go ahead or not based on a logical concern. Those fears that these emotions will keep coming up again in the future. And you don't want to have to go through this process for the same example fresh each time, just because you forgot what conclusion you reached or you doubted your previous conclusion. So if you document it, you can save yourself a lot of time, stress, emotion, and effort by just following it and say, okay, what I thought before was valid. I don't need to do this again. I can reassure myself. And again, yeah. this is from my experience where I found I get stressed about something. I may, I go through the process, I make a decision, and then I wake up a week later, I'm stressed about it again. And I'm like, I, I went through this, but I decided it was okay. But what was the process? I, do I trust myself? And then I'd have to do it again. Does that make sense? Interesting. It, it does. I, I didn't think about that, but that makes perfect sense. I think it's great advice. Um, so here's what we'll do. Aside from that, I'm going to put the, a picture of this flowchart of basically getting clear on what you want and da, da, da. In the show notes below, you'll find a link for it. And aside from that, this was a bit of a different episode, but I thought it was very impactful because I've actually run a lot of people through this exercise and they've really been helpful. In it. That's why I wanted to share this. And aside from that, we will see everybody next week. See you next week, guys. Thank you for listening to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast. Please tell a friend if you enjoyed it and found value in it. Three last things before you go, though. If you feel like someone else with your exact skill set and abilities could be accomplishing more than you currently are, that's a mindset and emotional access issue. And here are three ways I'd love to help you conquer any internal limitations, go big, and win. One, three quick ideas Tuesday newsletter. It's a weekly email with three quick ideas around one aspect of elite performance and how to approach it differently to get better and faster results. People say it's the most thought-provoking and impactful two minutes they spend in their inbox each week. It's easy to sign up to and easy to cancel, and you can sign up at edamumryan.com slash three ideas. Two is the Emotional Fortitude Micro Course. It will help you build the emotional fortitude and confidently tackle any goal. It's the complete, nothing held back, emotional fortitude system in five simple parts. It's all under five minutes each module. See it, use it, and win. And it's completely free at edamumryan.com slash course. And number three, lastly, if you want to dive in and aggressively level up, the Arena Mindset Accelerator might be for you. It's a six-week intense sprint for entrepreneurs who are up for a dramatic transformation. It's an interactive live program where you'll be working with me in a very hands-on way to get clarity on what you want, build an effective mindset to optimize for your goals, and establish elite emotional fortitude that would allow you to overcome any fear or doubt that could get in your way. You can learn more at edamarmorani.com slash accelerator. You can find all of these links in the show notes below or go to itamarmorani.com and have a look around. Until next time, who dares wins.